Hello and welcome to the Sages Cabin. I'm your host, Rox Madeira. So within the Sages Cabin, I interview herbalists and healers, foragers, nutritionists, growers, movement practitioners, historians, herb crafters, and other wise folk to bring you a wealth of expert knowledge. Some of these people have gifted additional bonus materials to enhance your learning, which you will find in the Wise Herbal Ways Patreon. I'd be really grateful if you head over to the Patreon and support the podcast. Um, and within that, you will also find um, another offering of mine, which is the Wise Herbal Ways Herb Circle, where you can continue on online learning, where we'll be meeting at each of the seasonal points on the Celtic calendar, and each time we'll meet a new plant and start an in-depth journey with that plant for the, the whole period until the next Celtic Festival. So that journey will involve guided meditations, live chats, and embodied practices, rituals, and journeys. So if that interests you, head on over to Wise Herbal Ways and join me in the Patreon. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you do, please like, subscribe, and share. Today I'm talking to Victoria Bennett, who's the author of All My Wild Mothers. She describes herself as a disabled and chronically ill poet author. Her writing spans poetry, memoir, non-fiction and games-based storytelling. And she's written and talked extensively on grief, care and writing through times of change. She lives in Orkney with her husband and son. And when not juggling writing, full-time care and genetic illness, she can be found where the wild weeds grow growing her apothecary garden. All My Wild Mothers is her debut memoir and was published in 2023. So All My Wild Mothers is a weaving of memoir and herbal folklore. All My Wild Mothers is a story of rewilding our wastelands and the transformation that can happen when we do. In a time of uncertainty, it has something to teach us about resilience and the power of resistance. I hope you enjoy the podcast with Victoria. So, um, I'll just start with hello. <laughs> um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on and for um, telling us about your story and everything and um, maybe we could just start with you telling me about yourself and about your book and about the concept of the book. Yeah okay this is the bit that I feel awkward in. <laughs> we'll get over it. Anyway it's lovely to meet you Rox. So, um, and uh, yes so I wrote the book over 10 years so decades so it was very slow grown um, and during that time, well, I still have, during that time, I was a, a carer for my son and also for my mother and my elderly father. And the book was written between all of those demands, um, which is why it was slow written. Uh, it is my debut memoir. Um, I've been writing for for many years, um, all my life really, but I suppose in in terms of it being a career, I've always written uh, since since I was 
in my early 20s, uh, but always in poetry. So this is my first first big book with lots of words. <laughs> um, so it's debut memoir. It's published by Two Roads Books earlier this year. And it's a weaving together, I suppose, of, of herbal folklore and plant medicine and memoir and it centers around the growing of a an apothecary garden in the in the ground that surrounded uh the house that we moved into uh in 2012 uh, which was a new built social housing estate so it was our garden there um alongside the growing of the garden in what was very very poor ground um, because it had been a former industrial site. Uh, the book is also a story of of motherhood, um, of nurture. So what it is to nurture ourselves, what it is to nurture each other, and what it is to be nurtured, and what it is to nurture the ground that we that's under our feet. Um, it's also a, a a meditation on love and on loss, um, both in personal terms, in, in griefs that I was living with in my life, but also in in what is lost in the living of a life and what we're losing within our ground and what we can hold on to. Um, and it's a celebration, I think, as well, of the the mothers in my life. So my own mother the women who have nurtured me and grown me like a plant. Um, <laughs> and it's a, I think it's also, it's it's a kind of clarion call to the wild, you know, inside us and in in the earth and kind of to to take a look and and celebrate the the wild that grows between between the cracks and what grows in broken things. <laughs> Does that cover it? <laughs> I, re I like um, the fact that it's all like kind of, I like that the, the be beginning of the chapter, there's like a little description of the herb, the folklore and stuff, and then the chapters are quite sh short. Yeah. It makes yeah. it easy to be able to read sections <laughs> when you've got lots of distractions. Um, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's the reason I wanted the plant, the plants are in there because it, you know, partly because all the plants that are in the book, um, except for the end one, I'll say that, except for the end one, uh, ended up growing in the garden. Um, oh, except for one other, laburnum, which grew in my garden when I was a child. So, But everything else grew in the garden. So it was a literal conversation between the writing of memory and experience and what was growing in the garden and that relationship with the plants but also i wanted i wanted the plants to be there within the life because that's how this knowledge used to be mm -hmm. you know this this knowledge of 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 our relationship with plants um on a kind of a more sort of energetic level and, and a medicinal level and a, and a, just just their relationship in our lives and their importance in our lives you know that was a knowledge that we had was woven into our lives so that that's why I wanted them to be woven through through the story and they also kind of introduce each chapter 
sometimes you see say, the chapters are very short so sometimes the plant section is longer than the chapter <laughs> but they are they're kind of the chapter introductions i suppose and they all they all relate to to the book as a whole as well in terms of their qualities and their stories that they bring yeah i love that i love that how you're saying about how they just kind of weave in in how we would have probably yeah we would have just had them as part of our lives whereas yeah. now we're just quite detached aren't we generally and it's trying yeah. to reweave them back into our lives that's yeah and i hope you know i hope in many of them uh because of the fact that the garden that we grew had to be done with no money <laughs> and on on very very poor ground most of the plants in there are plants that would be that were weeds you know they were the weeds growing in the in the ground around us so the estate hadn't been finished at that point so we would rescue the plants that were growing in, in on the construction site before they'd be buried okay. <laughs> um so that's another thing that they're they're plants that maybe other that maybe we you know maybe people will overlook or or think oh well that's just a problem um but because we were re-seeing them and and giving them a different status so they these were these were the plants that were building you know growing our garden they held importance mm-hmm. um so we would learn about them as we were planting and that took that gave them a different status you know they went from being this thing that that maybe somebody would dig out and throw away out of their garden to being the thing that was being introduced. So we planted, you know, my son was, my son had a lot to do with what went into the garden and being four and a half and a bit when we started, <laughs> you know, uh, a child, a child hasn't learnt any distinction between value yeah. in terms of, you know, what's a good plant, what's a, not good plant so we planted nettles and we planted dandelions and we planted buttercups <laughs> yeah so we introduced all these things that other people might say oh you don't want this and we rescued plants that people were throwing out and ones that people didn't want in the shops that were sitting there looking sad at the end of the sale <laughs> it's kind of like a plant sanctuary <laughs> yeah yeah plant sanctuary um you know and, and gathered seeds and things so so I hope as well that in some ways it it, it encourages just like with, with myself that it, it encourages people to to relook at what's growing around them and, and and start seeing them in a different way and listening to their stories in a different way. Mm, yeah. So I'm interested to hear about the actual process of growing the garden, because I think you said you it was just all on rubble. Grand. yeah yeah um so the 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 estate as is often the case um although it was a rural we lived rurally it was a social housing estate built over an old brownfield site um so it had been an industrial stoneworks uh recently you know th- recently it'd been an industrial stoneworks but also it'd been the site of a stoneworks for over 200 years so <laughs> <laughs> so the rubble went deep um <laughs> Which means that they, you know, they they had they had buried a lot of the waste, mm-hmm. which is what happens with a brownfield site. You know, the buildings are knocked down and buried, um, and underneath that was years, you know, two centuries of buried waste, um, and then on top of it was a thin layer of topsoil, 
and uh, kind of mono species, quick growing lawn. Right. So there was nothing growing except for some fairly scant green grass in the whole estate. Uh, and when we moved there, I mean, we, we moved there out of necessity, um, you know, financial necessity, and also emotional necessity. I was deep in grief, um, struggling. My son had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was two, so I was a full-time care for him, um, with precarious income. And so we, we moved there really sort of it was it was a last chance and a and a, a new beginning <laughs> for us and i looked at this blank garden and um you know my 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 own creativity had kind of gone at that point i think grief had shooed it away <laughs> yeah. um and i i wanted to to see what would grow literally um so as a sort of a, a something to do with with my son and a learning experience and also a way of connecting myself connecting myself literally growing roots in this new home um and trying to see what would grow we started to create the garden so the first thing we did was get a spade and stick it in the ground and it hit rock <laughs> <laughs> and i discovered that actually it was going to be a little more tricky <laughs> so it was a learning curve of going okay well underneath this kind of veneer um is just rubble it's just what's broken it's what's wrecked it's it's the rubble of 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 what's sort of been destroyed which you know the garden was was pretty determined to be a, a living metaphor for me <laughs> um and we we started to my son drew out plans for it and um we started to research research rowing sustainable so it had to be free or very very cheap we wanted it to be sustainable so we wanted to we started to look at kind of sustainable gardening practices permaculture and um and it had to grow on very bad land um and the other one was that we wanted we wanted it to feed us. We wanted it had to provide something for us as well, you know, economically as well as just a, a sense of kind of a exchange with it. So we created certain areas. We dug a lot of the rock out and started to grow the soil. So we started with compost, um, with with creating our compost uh, to build. Say build. We we built. We used the stone. We repurposed what we what we dug out to to create beds in certain places. So raised beds um, that we used for vegetables and to grow fruit. And then in the rest of it, we created habitats. I think so. So that that's where we started from. And I don't, initially we hadn't planned on it being, you know, what what came to be thought of as an apothecary garden, a healing garden. But it was a healing space. Um, but in learning about the plants, we, you know, we, we were learning their, their kind of their medicinal and their healing properties. So it became more, it, it started to kind of feed into the plants that we were looking at and choosing and, mm. and, and letting grow. Um, so it was, a, it was very much a wild garden as well. You know, it was, we had 
you know, after t at the point where, you know, after 10 years, it had bog garden, it had two ponds, it had oh. little mini woodland areas <laughs> and mini micro um, meadows. And I mean, everything was on a very small scale, but it, it had all of the habitat. So we attracted all of the, 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 the life to it. So it became, from being somewhere that was very barren, it became full of life, which was wonderful. <laughs> I don't think I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I'm just wondering how how big how big is was the space? I'm really really bad at, at spatial um, <laughs> measuring. I'm just trying to. <laughs> uh, uh, for example, I once got some stuff to put in a, a window, which was just a, a kind of was supposed to be a sheet of kind of obscuring stuff to cover a window, um, and I got my inches and my meters mixed up, and I could have covered the entire house. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we got initially, it was the size of this room. <laughs> okay. can't see. So it's the size of a, you know, a, a kind of a living room. Okay. Let's put it that way. Um, and then we, we managed to extend it a bit because there was a bit of uh, a corner area. So we asked, if we could just extend if if we before we moved in we asked if we could extend that bit so we'd had a little bit extra so it was kind of the size of uh two living rooms two and a half okay. <laughs> depending on what size your living room is <laughs> yeah um so it was it was enough space that you could walk around in it it was enough space that we could have a vegetable patch um, a few fruit trees that were small, obviously, when we put them in, and a patch that was grass that you could sit in in a meadow area in a pond. So it was, it was big enough to have those things in, um, but it was no way like, you know, the gardens that you see in country living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking that, like, it's sort yeah. of like an average kind of garden that then anybody you know could also because a lot of people talk yeah. oh my god it's tiny but then don't do no, anything no, no. I mean, it's, yeah it was um i mean it was a it was a three-bedroomed semi-detached housing estate house with an average size garden and at the front of the garden there was a small path and two patches of grass on either side around mm -hmm. a green you know it was your standard 1950s estate design yeah um built so it had it had a green in the middle the houses around the outside we each had a little patch in the front garden at the back um we were you know the garden you, you could have grown what we grew in a much smaller space and a much larger space it's all adaptable um you know had we stayed with the initial small size garden it would have been exactly the same garden just mm -hmm. it's interesting like, <laughs> I like the fact that you've got the different habitats it's interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you know our, our woodland habitat was was maybe a, um you know it had a green gauge tree which grew quite big and then underneath we because obviously we allowed the leaves to fall but also planted it was quite a shady area because of the tree and it had a shed next to it um the little little garden shed that was falling down <laughs> so we, we 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 put all like old rot, rotten bits of wood that we found you know branches and things and we started building up a woodland a miniature woodland habitat so and then we we grew plants in there that would grow in a shady wooden 
habitat. Um, the pond was, you know, the bog garden was was just a, a maybe a meter by meter at most, but it had all of these different wetland plants and things. So, so then we, you know, the micro meadow was was kind of I'm, I'm holding my hands out, kind of, you know, it's. Uh, it was it was just we had one that was you know a meter by meter mm-hmm. so again it's not very big um the spaces that we had but they were all in there and did you find that there was a lot more you know insects and animals and stuff that were attracted in because of and to the different areas different animals and insects yeah yeah I mean I'm not I'm not a I'm not very good at remembering all the different things but uh, yeah <laughs> and naming them but yes you know I mean given that when we first moved in there was nothing there wasn't even bird song right because there were no trees I mean there there was obviously around us we were in a rural area but we're in an agricultural rural area which I think people don't don't necessarily understand that that these these um not understand don't necessarily perceive if you don't see it how depleted industrial agriculture um you know the land where there's industrial agriculture uh so we lived in Cumbria and people sort of envisage you know the South Lakes and we were living in a much more agricultural farming area um but obviously because it had been new built a lot of the a lot of the habitats had been disrupted had been Mm -hmm. um disturbed so for example the 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 swallows and the swifts (laughs) <laughs> that would have used that place the the old abandoned industrial buildings um i mean they had to stop building at one point because they found bats <laughs> yeah. you know so these are all habitats that got taken away yeah. um but as as the garden grew yeah that so we had hedgehogs which i loved having hedgehogs and yeah. we got we got frogs in the pond and we got you know we got damselflies and we got various different butterflies and moths and lots of different types of bees and hoverflies and just you know lots of wasps <laughs> but they do something too you know so and lot, loads of birds which was lovely you know by the time it grew we had so many birds in the garden which was just brilliant from having none yeah that's nice <laughs> <laughs> they don't realize how how soothing bird song is yeah until. yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that was one of the things that I noticed when we moved there because, I mean, we'd we'd always rented, so you know, in various different places, some very beautiful, uh, some not so beautiful. Most, most of them being on the lower end of of what people would think were habitable places, but we exchanged beauty for damp. <laughs> And collapsing ceilings and cheap rent um but no the previous place we'd lived in backed onto a, a copse and so we had loads of birds in there and we would we would feed them at the window and, and so it was such a shock to move somewhere where there were no birds mm. um, yeah. which is why we we uh we planted contraband trees <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well the condition it's social housing so one of the we had to apply for permission to grow the garden in the first place Um, we had to meet some challenges in terms of what we were growing what we wanted how we wanted to grow you know wild garden 
is not often perceived by in rental places as being um a cultured garden okay. uh, i think it's often seen as benign you know neglect at best mm-hmm. and willful neglect you know otherwise so we had to you know there was quite a lot of explaining and and uh kind of show trying to show the benefits of it um but we did have to apply for permission and one of the conditions was that you know at the point where we would leave we would have to remove the garden oh well okay um that is just the you know it it sounds brutal and and, you know from a wildlife perspective it is brutal and you know also seems unnecessary you know surely we should be able to ask the person coming in if they would like the garden left but it's a it it works on a very large bureaucratic system and the system says that when someone moves in this is this is its better side it's better principle the ethic of it when someone moves in it should be their new start Mm -hmm. their home to make their own um not the last person's Mm. so there's a whole other debate about that but obviously trees were not meant to be (laughs) it's interesting isn't it because we're trying to like you know everybody's always talking about climate change and all this kind of thing and there's research out there to show how how nature and stuff just having greener spaces is you know makes um reduces like crime and improves social um social space and stuff that you think that like in any of these spaces that you would want to have more of the nature stuff and I think that like, it's, the people aren't really connect. They're not really connecting the two together. I guess. So. Well, I think as well, it's you know, it it it's a large organisation dealing with a diverse um, group of people mm. and spaces. So it's kind of a blanket policy mm-hmm. that says, you know, whatever you do to your space, you have to clear it up before someone else moves in mm-hmm. full stop uh which kind of makes sense mm. because yeah you know, i mean I, I can agree and not agree at the same time it kind of makes sense because then you know if you if you don't have a blanket policy then what you've got is a lot of gray areas now personally i think that as a society we need to kind of embrace the kind of the spectrum <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of of things so you know that that rather than having a kind of it can be this or it can be that it needs to kind of embrace otherness um and maybe starting with the ground up would be a great idea but you know the idea how wild gardens are perceived you know it's it goes all the way up to the top garden designers it's all very well seeing weeds in the chelsea garden you know flower show this year but but how many how many well-established garden designers would come out and say, actually, their gazette design, yeah, we're going to plant some dandelions in this garden. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe I can be corrected. But, you know, I think that it it's a slow process, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. And the monolith of, of bureaucracy doesn't work quickly. No. <laughs> however there are there are there are um 
there are projects like uh I'm, I'm i have brain fog so i really struggle with trying to remember names of things but i think it's called nature box um which is great because that that is working with social housing developers um and it's a scheme where they try and what they do is encourage social housing developers to look at those spaces as wild spaces so each new build house um they work with them and they provide like a kit for the person moving in to to okay. grow a wild garden okay that's you know, so i think that it's only small it's starting out um and there's another project and i forget its name where they're encouraging you know they're working with with uh estates and communities to grow fruit trees in in their gardens and okay. you know so it's like there's there are projects happening there are things happening but you know you, there's like... also a great big mm. you know cultural thing there as well that has to change probably yeah probably yeah <laughs> i think probably people come to our garden and think well it's very uh messy we've got like a little airbnb thing and it's you know it's a wild garden yeah but that's <laughs> um, it it's perception isn't it you know yeah. one person I, mean, I think the dandelions are like oh they're so pretty look at the dandelion flowers and like you know somebody else comes along and like oh why are all these weeds in your garden you haven't looked after it <laughs> well i mean you could one of the you know good ex illustration of this is that around around our garden <laughs> excuse me around our garden um they were they would come the the house association or would would send somebody to to the, maintain the public mm -hmm. areas so the middle the grass on the green was always mown completely flat and somebody would weed kill around the outside of our garden yeah. so you'd have inside the fence you would have this sort of lush wild habitat <laughs> and then any plants that grew through the fence mm. would just be dead and brown <laughs> which would you know it upset me every time it happened because obviously when you weed kill something you're not just killing the top leaves you kill it all the way through so it would it, it would leach through into the garden mm -hmm. they weren't doing it to be willfully horrible they were doing yeah. it to keep a communal space how they perceived as tidy and clean yeah so you know the fact that i didn't see it that way didn't make it necessarily wrong it just yeah. made it the way that they were doing it yeah um, and like our front patch we grew as a completely over the 10 years we let it we I, I we kind of cultivated it as a full meadow small meadow but obviously our our neighbors and the um the the estate mowed the grass up to our line so we had this like flat mown grass <laughs> and then a meadow <laughs> and then flat mown grass again <laughs> but our that bit of grass was full of wildlife hmm. so that's what I was wondering actually do, did did you have any did your garden have any impact on anybody else's as in like did it change anybody else's perception to create something similar or was everybody just flat mown grass uh no I mean it's a varied you know it's a state with varied tenants in it sort of when I talk about the kind of how these the sort of the communal areas where that's that's a different thing yeah so you know there were people there had lovely gardens mm -hmm. you know that were that expressed who they were yeah. um so and also it was a kind of a peculiar estate because it had a, as a social housing estate and then another area which was new build housing like yeah. self-build oh, okay so kind of this this strange juxtaposition of of kind of social housing and, and kind of aspirational housing <laughs> but obviously you could have you could have whatever garden you wanted 
in those houses. Yeah. People owned them. Okay. <laughs> um, and did you find, like, when you were um, creating this garden with your son and he was, like, designing all the stuff, did it, um, how did it affect your relationship with him? Did... Uh, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're close. And I think that it's, it just gave us a space, I think, both of us to connect, connect with the ground, connect with each other. Um, I mean, my son was born very shortly after my elder sister died. Um, she drowned. And when I was yeah, a couple of months before my son was born. And so his life, his early life was was kind of, you know, I was new to motherhood and also trying to live with grief and and so and then obviously he was he was very very ill when he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes because it hadn't been it's been a missed diagnosis um so it had been hard you know and this this gave us a space to to grow something together um and you know it's ex exciting when you're four <laughs> as well and, and his magic you know his ability to see everything as beautiful and everything as kind of wonder filled mm. helped me re-see things and you know i i filled in some of those things with with the knowledge and and learning so my son is is home educated as well so that garden became a learning space so it was his his classroom i suppose mm -hmm. but and mine as well <laughs> So a very equal footing of learning. It wasn't me going, and now you shall learn this. It was, you know, we were equally learning and equally discovering and equally running around with wooden swords. And <laughs> how, how old is your son now? So was that old? how old? How old is my son now? So he is. He is. He was fifteen this year. Fifteen. Okay. And... <laughs> So I think people would maybe you know read the book and see him as this little child. Yeah, <laughs> but he grows up in the book as well because it it goes over, you know, it goes over a long time. So, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, yeah, he's fifteen <laughs> and taller than me. <laughs> and does he still does he like does he like gardening now and growing things? And, uh, well, he's just moved, not into it so. now because he's fifteen. <laughs> No, he's still, I mean, he's still very into uh, wildlife and wild spaces and we love going for walks together and he's, um, he's, yeah, he's still very connected with the ground. I wouldn't say that I could probably convince him to go gardening for, you know, 10 hours a day. Because, <laughs> you know, rightfully he has other stuff in his life. But yeah, I mean, he's still, he's still into the garden and still enjoying being part of that in our new new home and before I asked about your new home um how how did how did you find that like writing the book and the garden and stuff helped you to kind of get over or not even get over just kind of move forward I guess with your grief um I that it's good to kind of make that clarification of not getting over that was really important in the book that 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 was something that was written about, you know, quite honestly that, you know, and that's also reflected in the fact that the 
the book doesn't work from like one season to to the end season. It does not like one year, and it's like oh, there's spring and summer and autumn and winter and you know all this sort of thing. It it goes through cycles, you know, like nature goes through cycles of um, of of things growing and things going, you know. Um, and I think that being connected with that in a very slow and um, attentive way helped me helped me become more at peace with grief um you know i in the process of growing the garden i also um had to you know grieve other people in my life um so this exactly i give a spoiler it's like the idea that there would be a spoiler in somebody's personal life it's kind of i don't know <laughs> but you know i think that it it's it enabled me to to heal something within myself and to find a a strength uh to discover a strength within myself and i think that that was learned a lot from you know partly through this the strength of of growing a garden um physically sometimes it was incredibly hard work at the beginning of of <laughs> shifting a lot of stones <laughs> digging a lot of stones up um and it's uh it also it taught me about resilience and about you know these these weeds that grew in places that you wouldn't think something could grow you know these beautiful healing powerful plants that would grow in the middle of things that were wrecked mm -hmm. just gave me something to 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 learn from that I'm kind of no different to to that plant mm. <laughs> and, and uh, it also helped me to reconnect with with what's beautiful I think that it's you know in, in deep grief it can paint everything a certain way um, and it can make it very difficult to see beyond that um but you know in part of the process of writing the book you know i was i was writing about what was lost um but also i was writing about writing into and writing about the moments that i was living mm -hmm. so it it made me very attentive to those moments and to see what was very beautiful and you know, it's that, that whole, the garden kind of helped me understand life in terms of its, what's brutal and what's broken, but also what's beautiful and tender and resilient and, and yeah, wonder-filled. <laughs> and then, do you have anything that you, that you'd really like people to take away from your book? You know, something that, why you've written, I guess, is it? <laughs> I wanted the plants to be I wanted the pages to be plantable but unfortunately that wasn't possible I literally wanted people to be able to take a garden to have the I, re I really wanted them to be kind of detachable pages the plant pages oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that you could go away and actually plant the, plant the garden <laughs> but unfortunately that wasn't possible um I think the book does honestly talk about the hard bits it doesn't 
shy away from them. I, it was important to me that I, I wrote as truthfully as I could about the things that were hard. But equally, I wrote about the things that were joyful in there. And I hope that at the end of reading it, that a person will go away with that sense of hope and maybe a renewed sense of connection with with the ground you know what's growing under their feet and and maybe a a, a renewed connection with their with what's wild within themselves and what's wild around and mm. and a sense of a sense of love for themselves i think <laughs> nice. <laughs> I hope so. I think that it's uh you know, difficult things happen in life. Mm-hmm. You know, difficult, terrible things happen. And they don't just happen once, they can happen many times. And you know, equally so we can have challenges and struggles that are uh, mundane and mm. repetitive and you know, and we keep going. You know, that's that's what we do. We yeah. we you know, to the best of our ability we keep going. And sometimes the best of our ability is is having to admit, you know, that day was that day was crap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go to sleep, wake up again tomorrow. Again. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, it's it's not necessarily, you know, I, I think Somebody challenged me on it, but I said, I had, you know, I hope you enjoyed the book. And they went, I don't think enjoyed is quite the word. But they came out of it feeling something changed, feeling something hopeful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I hope people connect with it and find connection with it. And in doing so, find connection with themselves and with the world around them. And maybe learn something about it the plants around them <laughs> yeah, how, so actually they're talking about the plants and stuff how would you um encourage other people maybe who are in a maybe similar situation but all maybe just like in a yeah whatever that like um to set up their own garden um well first of all i'd say don't don't be put off thinking that you've got to have everything perfect. Mm. You don't have to have the perfect compost and the perfect tools and the perfect plants and the perfect pots and the perfect space. You know, we, if we wait in life for everything that's perfect, we miss what's wonderful along the way. So, you know, whatever you have, you can grow a garden and that's a plant pot you can grow a garden and if that's a big field you could grow a garden <laughs> so that's my first thing so like you have as much right to this space and this connection as anybody else with whatever you have um the second one i suppose is is let a little bit of intuition work so you know rather like you know my son at his age didn't distinguish between what was a good plant and what was a bad plant. He just was, you know, he gravitated towards what attracted him. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, you know, if a dandelion brings you joy, then have a dandelion in your garden <laughs> and go and find out what a dandelion does. You know, a dandelion has, you know, huge properties. Every plant pretty much has, you know, properties that are healing for us, healing for the earth. And, you know, the folklore is fascinating. And, you know, so a little bit of intuition, let yourself be guided. And then, you know, Google is your friend <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> but also a simple thing like, you know, uh, a wildlife identifying plant uh, book. Um, from the library mm -hmm. is great as well there's something rather nice about having a book rather than being online you can take it out I know everybody's got phones but that's different um, and I think that it's just start with what you've got let it grow and let your learning grow with it um, there <laughs> yeah. and the book's got lots of plants and lots of information so if you want somewhere to start I like to think you get two books for the price of There's a lot of information in it that you could begin with. Um, and although I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to advocate that people go around digging up wildflowers because <laughs> obviously we don't want to be destroying other habitats in order to create a habitat within our garden. That would yeah. be wrong. Um, you know, there are places where, like we did, where, where the plants are growing because they're damn well determined that they're going to grow and nobody's going to tell them that they can't. <laughs> but there are places where a plant can grow where you know that it's not going to survive. And maybe that's where you can give it a new home. Mm -hmm. um, and seeds, you know, a lot of wildflowers will produce seeds that are easy to collect uh, and that you can use, you know, it's a cheap way of of growing a garden. Um and cardboard's a good friend. <laughs> if you have a space that's just got like grass and you want to create an area where you want to start cultivating more wildflowers in it, you know, you can, one of the things that we often did was collect up bits of cardboard and put them over winter, making sure there was no plastic on them, no tape or anything. And they would break down and then we'd take them up in the spring and dig out you know it would have killed off most of the, the stuff that we needed to kill off and then we'd start sowing in wildflowers to to start cultivating a, a little meadow space and, mm -hmm. and just start start with the dandelion start with the nettle yeah. <laughs> the daisy you know the other thing is you know as you start you know it's the, it's the whole thing is if you build it they will come <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually then the plants just kind of start moving around as well yeah i know that's, that's really weird they're like no nah, i don't like this place i'm gonna go live here now and you like the next year like how did you get there <laughs> or random other random plants keep coming there's like one spot in front of my door that a random plant keeps moving in and it's like a, it seems to be a different one each year <laughs> so i'm yeah. like waiting to see what it is this year but yeah. it's just really I mean, that... weird this is one spot that's each year seems to be something different. Yeah. I, mean, I think there's there's a certain thing that goes with gardening that sort of says the harder it is, the more valid it is. But actually working, you know, there's a whole patriarchal thing involved in that that I'm not going to get into. But, you know, I think when you work with, with nature, 
it it is so much easier. Um, I mean, I live with with chronic illness and disability that got worse over the period of time with the garden, and you know what it by the you know after sort of eight years, ten years, I wasn't really doing a great deal at all. It was taking care of itself, you know, in the hottest temperatures when everybody was like, "Oh my god, my garden's dying." It's like, no, mine's not, because mm-hmm. kind of it knows what it needs to do here. And the plants are looking after each other. And, you know, there's a lot to be learned from mm. that kind of symbiosis of, uh, that happens um, within a garden when things start looking after each other and working with each other and not competing for space. And, mm. um, you know, it kind of it, it brings its own balance. But, uh, yeah, watch for where they move around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'll tell you they'll tell you what they want they'll tell you whether they want to be there and also the great thing about it is you know a lot of seeds uh you know we we discovered plants growing like field scabious which which we hadn't had appeared um towards you know towards the end of the 10 years and it, it's because we be digging in the ground and that dormant seed uh, right. yeah. came back to life you know it's like this mm. these things can sort of lie there in wait that's (laughs) interesting it's like almost like that kind of ancestral connection then like who would have seen that seed before (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. i mean you know they can last for it for ages and they you know they just kind of they hunker down and wait quietly for when they can grow and it's just like you know i think that there's so much so much to be worried about so much to grieve now just generally um you know i think that i wrote about the uncertainty and grief and in my life my personal life by the time the book came out that was shared by you know millions of people <laughs> because of, of the pandemic so you know um but just generally we've got there are a lot of there are a lot of messages of division yeah and a lot of messages of disaster and it's right that we should be aware of these you know the urgency of things but it's also important to keep hold of hope and to plant a seed and to grow grow you know grow whatever you can (laughs) Mm -hmm. and just just believe that you can be part of that healing and part of that change and just do what you can with it and that the plants are there to kind of you know if we work with it it'll be stronger you know I I think that that's the other thing about the garden that it it helped me it helped me understand that you know I'm not I'm not one little person on my own and grief can feel like that being a carer can feel like that that you know just doing this on your own Mm. but I'm part of a, a whole you know, I am part of a whole wonderful kind of biodiverse world. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, we kind of we are part of nature, aren't we? And we just kind of yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. we're not outside of it and yeah. looking in and going oh, you know, <laughs> it's like we are part of it. Yeah. Uh, what's happening to it is happening to us, but equally, you know equally there's there's that hope in there and and that strength and resilience that it can show us and we can bring to it because we are it yeah (laughs)
So, um, so since is it uh, since the book's published? That have, have, am I right that you've moved to Orkney? Is that? Uh, we actually moved to Orkney two months before the book came out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a a sudden thing. Um, uh, well, I say sudden thing. It was something that we had thought about before a long time before, and then we decided we had an opportunity to do it, and we decided that that we would we would go for it. It was something that we wanted to do when our son was very young and we never we were not able to because of everything you know all the things i just talked about mm-hmm. um and we decided we wanted to do it before he grew up and moved away completely uh and uh at the age of 51 we bought our first ever house <laughs> just before <laughs> mortgages it completely imploded the night before <laughs> We got a mortgage agreed. Um, you know, we've saved very, very hard as artists. That was very difficult. <laughs> um, and we moved to Orkney to a house and uh, yeah, South Ronaldsea. <laughs> and how's that? Is that good? <laughs> it is. It's it's good. It's different. Um, the house has a a little garden, um, much smaller than the other one. Uh, which had nothing growing in it again, <laughs> had obviously been used by the cats of of the neighbourhood, of which there are many. Um, so there was a lot of cat poo in the garden, <laughs> and a lot of cats looking at me like, "Well, yeah, it's our space. What are you doing?" <laughs> and we, you know, that that's um, well, new set of challenges. Been really. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's been really fun, actually, because we've kind of created this very, very tiny um, apothecary garden. We bought some plants with us from the garden, uh, rescued some in the process of dismantling the garden and seeds that we gathered. Um, and so we've we've grown that, uh, planted those in and we're growing that. We've got a little mini barrel pond. And, so everything's shrunk, but it's still there. <laughs> and then recently... Uh, very very recently um we have been gifted on loan a garden space in the village that that somebody uh, a gentleman has gifted us to grow so we're hoping to to grow a new wild apothecary garden there (laughs) it is it's really exciting um uh, at the moment i'm just going and sitting in it because it's it's very overgrown and very wild and um and it has trees, which is something that are not that common in Orkney. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got a whole different, you know, it's learning a whole new, uh, a whole new set of um, what grows here and what thrives, and it's a whole a different habitat and different wildflowers, and and uh, we're growing with it, and it's very exciting. <laughs> mm, yeah, I wonder if that'll bring out a whole nother book <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I mean one of the other things I I'm one of the things that I've got really I'm really enjoying at the moment is uh we I walk the we walk the the bay that's just down from our house um with our elderly cat because <laughs> he likes to walk on the beach but he only likes to walk on it with us <laughs> <laughs> so we walk with our cat and uh just gathering up bits of broken pottery and 
things and kind of looking at where their stories have come from and so that's that's another sort of little thing coming in <laughs> who knows who knows what will grow here <laughs> yeah, exciting <laughs> yeah so um do you want to tell me how people can connect with you if they want to connect with you and where they can buy the book and things like that <laughs> yeah so all my wild mothers um is available pretty much anywhere where you can buy a book mm-hmm. um so it's available in all the usual places online and uh if it's not already in your local bookshop independent bookshop you or you know high street chain bookshop you can order it from there um and you know i would always encourage people to see as well you know libraries are fantastic resources if it's not already in your local library you could suggest to them that they get it um so yep you can find it pretty much everywhere uh growing up like a dandelion Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i have a website which is victoriabennett.me it's bennett with a double n and a double t so if you go on there you can find lots about the book and links and um and also some of the apothecary tea uh recipes that i used from the garden you know i'm not a qualified herbalist to stress that these are my these are my um brews that i use and why i use them Um, you know if you want to look at herbalism go you know you need to find a qualified herbalist um and i'm on twitter and instagram twitter is vic b wild which is more complicated because it's v-i-k b as in the bumblebee and wild w-y-l-d <laughs> and instagram is just b wild b-e-e w-y-l-d so but easiest thing find my website and then you'll find all the links victoriabennett.me <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's wonderful. Thanks, Rox. It's been been very fun, very interesting. And I'm not sure I answered your questions, but we had a chat. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> Thank you. All right. <laughs>